Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Anybody here love Jesus? Anybody here still love Jesus after a while of serving him? Amen. The word of God is designed to help us to get the most out of our life and to do what he is expecting or calling us to do. All right. And I appreciate the opportunity anytime to expound in the word because I love the word of God. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will stand forever. In other words, I can't count on everything else, but I can count on his word. I can't count on how I feel. I can't count on whether or not the service is good today or tomorrow. I can't count on other things, but I can count on his word. If you know the word and read the word, you can walk sure. Is that all right? Now, I realize everybody is not going to read the Bible. But if you don't read it, at least hear it and believe it. That's our challenge to you today, okay? You may not feel like you're a Bible reader or that you read and understand it very well. That's okay if you're willing to learn, listen, and learn, okay? Now, what I try to do is show you things in the Bible when I speak to you that you can go back and look at them yourself or get with someone else and say, hey, that Tony guy said this. Is this true? And then you can make a decision. The reason is because every person must be persuaded in their own mind. You can't get what God wants for you by just saying what someone else has said. You have to believe it. Amen. So last time we were talking to you, we were talking about the gospel influence. And I want to continue on that thought. Last time we were talking about hearing and believing. All right. The power of the gospel is released or accessed through hearing and believing it. But the challenge of the gospel today is to uh, Jesus call is for the believers to see. So what I want to do real quickly is I want to know how many believers we have in the house. Okay. Keep them up for me because I'm looking just to make sure I can see. All right. So, amen. We got a house full of believers. All right. So believers have a special call upon their life. And I want to challenge you as you look at your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want to challenge you to think of that book as Jesus teaching the disciples how to disciple. Okay? So when you read it, read it as a training book. Jesus is teaching folks how to disciple. He's got about three years to work with them in ministry, and he's got to prepare them to do what he's going to leave them to do. Right? So he's going to go, and he's going to leave them to carry on the work. True? So it takes three years to train them. So what you see in the scriptures, though you see a lot of other things, you see him also training us how to disciple people, how to preach the gospel and reach the world. Is that okay? Now, I do know there's a challenge because it happened in the disciples' life. There's a challenge of being a believer and then letting God disciple you. Being in church a long time doesn't mean I actually have been discipled properly. And all discipleship don't take place in the church, but it's important that you and I learn of God. So I shared a scripture with you last time in uh, Psalms, I think it was, 42 and 7, where the writer says, deep calls unto deep. You remember that? The word can be interpreted this way. God, who is deep, is always calling you and I to deeper. 
And God is challenging every believer to come to a place of deeper consecration and life with him. You with me? I'm kind of sometimes surprised that I hear believers tell me things like, you know, oh, I do this or I do this. That's not right. But God ain't through with me yet. Make excuses for our behaviors. As a believer, I cannot stand on the fact that I'm saved and not try to progress and grow as a believer. I have to actually seek growth. Last time I said to you, if you don't have a desire, the message of the gospel will do you no good. If you are not wanting something more than what you already have, the gospel can be preached around you and it will never benefit you. You have to have a deeper desire, a longing for something more. Does that make any sense? I don't know what it is, but I want you to understand God has not built your life just to be a demonstration of healing and deliverance. God is trying to activate you and I. The reason the scripture says by his stripes you were healed, so you don't have to wrestle with that anymore. You got me? Your life as a believer is not designed for God to spend all of his time trying to make you right, heal you, get you where you're supposed to be, and then you die. But he's done something that could be done instantaneously for you and I if we believe it, so we can go out and live prosperously and carry out the mission of the Bible for the believer. Is that right? Paul went about with a thorn in his flesh. He didn't let that stop him. Is that right? You'll never have a perfect life. Amen? But what you have is what God wants to work with. Am I okay with that? Whatever condition your life is in, even if God doesn't change it, he'll use it. You do not have to isolate yourself and be absent from ministry because you're dealing with something. God can take the something you're dealing with if you'll trust him with it and bless and multiply and minister to others from it. Okay with that? I know as a human being, we are very easily prone to seek our own stuff, to watch out for number one. That is why Matthew said, sinners do that. Sinners look out for themselves, what they're going to eat and what they're going to put on, and they are more concerned about those things first. Not that you shouldn't be, but they should not be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You and I have that command, if you could sum it up in that, that every day we're supposed to be trying to find out what God is doing, how do we cooperate with it, and how we raise our own standards to his levels. Is that okay? I share with you the gospel is the message, the message of Christ. It's the message of Christ. Religion and the gospel are different. Religion will never save you. You with me? It doesn't matter how long and how faithful you are religiously. It will never save you. You understand that? We talked about last time the man at the pool who was 38 years trying to get in the pool because he thought if he could get in, that religious thing would save him. We talked about Nicodemus who knew enough and had position in the church, but he still come up empty, right? And if you're in the church and you're using religion to try to get to fulfillment, satisfaction in your life, it will never work, okay? No need to be mad at the church because you still are not fulfilled. There's nothing the church can do 
to meet your deepest needs. Those things are met in Christ. Is that okay? Now, you and I become instruments to help people, to guide people, to stir people, or spur people along the right way. But no one here could ever meet your deepest need. Okay? If you're longing, lonely, hurting, lacking courage, shy, shame, whatever, God is prepared to meet that need. You with me? Everybody follow me? Okay. So the gospel is the message of God through Christ. In Corinthians, this is just a scripture. I didn't give them this one, so maybe you can look at it with me. In Corinthians, just to see this, I want you to see this to kind of get us started. So if you have a Bible apparatus, I don't know, they're not always a book, Doc. So if you have a Bible that you can look at or an instrument you can look on, I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians, and this is, oh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 5. I'm paraphrasing because I'm not reading, I'm talking to you, I want you to look at it. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Is that what you're saying? Verse number 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting people's sins, right, against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave that same ministry to us. Got that? How many of you mess up? How many of you get it wrong sometimes? How many of you are still short in what you know, right? How many of you are afraid to disappoint God sometimes? Okay, yeah. How many of you want to get it right for him so you take less risk because you don't want to get it wrong? Yeah, me too. I do that too, okay? You and I have to understand the gospel because the gospel you understand is the gospel you proclaim. You understand me? You will not proclaim the gospel any differently than you live it or accept it or believe it. So that's why I spent some time last time talking about the gospel is not a religion. Because if you understand the gospel as a religion, you will then try to tell other people how to do your religion. And please believe me, the world knows religion doesn't work. Those who doesn't know that religion doesn't work, they think your religion doesn't work, so they'll go find another one. Right? You got folks who have left the church because church didn't work. So they went on to Buddhist or Mormonism or something else because they are trying to find something that works. That's why I asked you last time, what do you do if church doesn't work? The believer must have an answer for that. You cannot just go through church and it's not working for you and you are staying with it just so you are fit into the crowd and no one will think ill of you. Man, if it don't change my life, I quit. The world is doing that. In some ways, they're a little smarter. Now, they're looking for all the wrong things and know how to find it. But I would encourage you, one of the reasons the church is probably this size is so God can work with us. It's too big, you can't do nothing. Because you'll be encumbered about what other people think. But right now, look around you. There's not a whole lot of folk for you to worry about. So if you're going to practice something new and good, it's a good time. Is that all right? It's a good time. If you're, not go if you're going to ever get out of fear and shame, this is a good place. Right? It's a good place. So I'm challenging the church, this church today. Let's do something different. Let's become powerful. Is that all right? 
Let's get a hold of what the gospel really is and let it work in our lives so we got something to tell. Is that okay? You have to believe the gospel. It works. It really works. I can tell you tragic story after tragic story, my own bad choices, but yet here I am. I know it works. How many of you know it works? The gospel is the message of God through Christ to all humanity. You got that? What's the gospel? It's called gospel good news. It's the message. It's really important, though, to remember that what I'm saying and the message could be different. You have to listen to what I'm saying to interpret the message. God so loved the world. That's what I said. But you have to understand that and how it applies in order to get the message. So I told you the only way to access the message is how? Through hearing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. So the first place we're going to read in Romans chapter 10 is verse 7. Someone read it for me. Please read it loud. Okay. And verse 8. It is in your mouth and in your heart. How near is God's teaching? It's in my mouth and in my heart. In other words, you already have a longing and a yearning in your heart. And whatever you have, you have a word you can say in your mouth. Read the next verse, please. We just teach people to say it. This is the message of faith we are teaching. That if people believe in their heart that God gave Jesus as our Savior and they call on his name with their mouth, they shall be saved. Read verse 10 for me. All right, number 11. How many of you understand that verse right there? You cannot be rejected if you trust in him nor will his promise ever fall short. You cannot be made ashamed. Some things I won't try because I'm afraid of failure. And failure could be rather embarrassing or rather off-putting, so I won't try them. This will never fail you. Calling on the name of the Lord would never fail you. You understand that? Let's read on. Now, it says this because there's no difference between religious people and non-religious people. So the question I asked someone once, how do you know if God is working in a non-believer's life, drawing them to salvation. Can you look at a person and say, I can see God working with that person, and I know they're not a believer, and they curse or they drink or whatever they do, but I can see God working. Have you ever thought about that's what you're called to do? You are called to be able to see that. I know for me, I was lost in the world. I wasn't rejecting. I didn't know any better. I was lost. Anybody else been lost? When you're lost, you don't know. So you're making all kinds of mistakes. Someone had to see me groping in darkness and tell me there's a way out. We look at non-believers and judge them because they're not religious. They don't go to church. They don't believe in God. They don't pray. They don't do this or they don't do that. And we look at that and say, well, you know what? Man, the world is a really terrible place. Boy, God's going to have to do something. All these unsaved folk around here. <laughs> really? Where do you think you're supposed to work at? You're called to go to the unsaved. You're supposed to work beside them. They're supposed to be on your team. They are supposed to be in your carpool. They're supposed to be in your network group. You are the light of the world. How do men come out of darkness if the light won't shine? 
You and I are challenged for that. So he says, listen, this is not a message that's strictly to Jews. It don't work differently for non-Jews. It's the same message for Jews and non-Jews. Today's language, it's the same message for Christians and non-Christians. The same one that got you here is the one that'll get everyone else here. Let's read a little further. Verse 13. He richly blesses who? Everyone who looks to him. Not everyone. He richly blesses everyone that looks to him. Everyone that calls on his name. 14. You understand that, church? Listen, you got people out there that you know need to be saved. Is that right? Neighbors, family, friends, folks that you've seen along the way, you meet them all the time, right? They need to be saved, right? Right? Here's the logical question to the believers. Before they can believe, they'll have to hear it. How can they believe it if no one is telling it to them? You with me? Read on. Okay. What has to happen before they believe? They have to hear it. And what happens before they, what needs to happen before they hear it? Someone has to tell them. Are we clear there? That's pretty simple, isn't it? God, I got folk in my network group. They don't know about you. That's why I got you there. You're supposed to be able to see an opportunity. Jesus is teaching 12 men how to carry out the message of the gospel and deliver it to the world. He's training them. Ephesians 2 and 20, I believe, is. He's training them to be the foundation of the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The teaching of the disciples and the apostles is the foundation. The building starts by aligning itself with Christ, but it continues to something solid by obeying the teachings. You with me? So he's going to take these 12 men and train them to be solid, that you and I can build on the teachings you and I can understand. That's what the rest of the New Testament is, right? So you can start with Christ, but you'll never get the building all the way up. You got to have some foundation to lay things on, right? So that's why we say you got to know your Bible, right? So in Ephesians, he's going to train these men, these 12 men who are fickle and unsure and cowardly and afraid, and they are not very stable in themselves. He's going to train them to be stable men of God through which he can establish the foundation of the church. Praise God. If he could do it with them, he can work with you and I to continue to build it. Go with me to the book of St. John again, chapter 4. We're looking here, verse 35 through 38. Jesus talks to this woman at the well. You know the story? It starts off by saying, Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. I can't tell you why John put it in there like that and what that means from John's heart. But I am saying, it seems to me that Jesus was intentional in going to Samaria. That he was very purposeful in going there because there was something he knew about. Now, I'm not sure what he knew. I can try to pull from scripture some things I think, but I'm not sure why he said I need to go there. But he did, right? And he meets this woman at the well. He happens to meet her in the middle of the day, noontime, and begins to talk to her. And the Bible says the disciples weren't there. They had went off to town to get some food. When they came back, they saw Jesus talking to the woman. Now, I'm assuming he must have been talking to her for a couple of hours. I'm assuming that because the grocery store probably wasn't that close, and they were walking. Jesus stops at noon. The disciples come back, and he's still talking to the woman. So I'm assuming it might have been a couple of hours. 
That doesn't really matter. I'm just assuming. And he begins to talk to her, and eventually he says things to her that changes her life. And the Bible says she hears what he says, and when the disciples come back, they're looking at this, and the Bible says they said something in their heart, but they wouldn't say it out loud. They said, why is he talking to this woman? Now, I don't know their suspicions, but I know how church people are. You see Tony talking to a woman, and he ain't supposed to. And she from Samaria, too. You're going to come up with all kinds of ideas. And I know like the disciples, you're not going to tell Tony. You're going to tell other members. I don't know why I saw Tony talking to this woman. And that's where the disciples were. Jesus then, after the woman leaves, he doesn't address that thought directly. But the disciples say to him, hey, listen, because they don't want to confront a real issue. We bought some food. You hungry? Jesus says to them, <laughs> You guys don't get it, do you? I got food that you don't even know about. I got full while you were gone. I was able to feed myself and become fully satisfied of doing the work of the Father. And they couldn't understand that. So then in 35, he begins to quote something to them. This is the point I want to share with you, okay? So let's read. It's on the screen now. We can read it together. You ready? Verse 35, just so we all in the same version. Verse 35, ready? Read. Pause there. Shake your neighbor next to you. You only do this normally in African-American churches. But shake your neighbor next to you. Tell him, wake up. Look around. See, uh, church people are sleeping sometimes, right? You can sleep with your eyes open, right? Church people are sometimes sleeping with their eyes open. And Jesus has to say to the disciples, they sitting here talking. He said, wake up. Look, look around you. You're conscious and cognizant, but something's sleeping, Right? And then he begins to say to him, wake up, look around you. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. Now, Jesus was challenging the disciples in the way I'm challenging you. It's time to wake up and see. Open your eyes. Listen, you got two choices in life. You can see what Jesus is doing wrong or what Christian folk are not doing or what the world is not doing very well or what's all going bad. Or you can see what God is doing. You got a choice. Church is no good if the only thing you and I get together and talk about how bad the world is and in our little sanctuary we pray and talk about how God going to keep us from the world and then go out there trying to avoid the world and contamination in the world till we get back to church Sunday. That's not what this is about. This is about the power of the gospel unto salvation for everyone that would believe it. And you are a carrier of that power. There's a deep that lives inside of you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit ain't that shallow, y'all. There's no way he's he walking around every day talking about your grocery list and your feet hurting and whatever else is going on. I'm pretty sure that there's a message from the Holy Spirit to every believer. I need you to witness. I'm sure of that. How can I be sure? Jesus said, listen, I don't do anything the Father didn't say, and the Spirit won't do anything the Father didn't say, so you shouldn't do anything the Father didn't say. Is that right? You can't make up your own Christian agenda. You can't do that. I got my mind. This is how I want to do it. No, you can't do that. No, 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 no. You submit to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. And guess what he wants to do? Can you imagine what he wants to do? We sit here Sunday morning. I guarantee you he likes it. But he not just want you to gather Sunday morning and shout. I guarantee you that's not it. I think there's a world out there he wants to save. What do you think? Come on, challenge me if you don't think it right. I'm paused right here so you can throw out your argument. I think 
there's a world he wants to save. Have vacation, that's nice. Go do things, that's nice. Take care of your family, that's nice. But that ain't what he's trying to do. That shouldn't be left out, but it shouldn't be the only thing. Shouldn't be the most important thing. Come on, church people. <sighs> Breathe if you have to. I hold God so loved the world that he gave everything he had to prove it, and he won't stop now. What about you? If you have means, resources, the Bible calls you and I to use what we have to administer grace in its various forms. In other words, you have something that you can work with to demonstrate God's grace. Even if you don't think you have enough, you have something. You can show God's grace if you can see the harvest. Let's go to the next verse, 30, 36. There's some important stuff in here. Ready? Read with me. Go. Pause. That's good right there, ain't it? Oh, I could just pause. Woo, woo. It's not a selfish sacrifice where you're left out and no, I'm, I'm just suffering. No, that's not it. The, the harvesters get paid. That's right. Yes. Right? That's right. You would never outgive God. They put it in the song. You can't beat God's giving. I believe that. All right? The harvesters are paid good wages and... Did you see that? The fruit of the harvest is people. Listen, okay, the character of the believer is really important. But winning is measured in the people. Winning with God is not measured alone in how I grow as a believer. Heaven wants to be full of folks, not full of me. He wants some people, some more people. He wants the people you don't want. He wants the people you don't think qualify. He wants folks that you would say to yourself, there's no hope. How do I know that? God loves the world, not just Jews, but everybody. My ex-wife, he love her. Your ex-whatever, they got to get to heaven. Your bad children, your old selfish boss, they got to get to heaven. God loves them. You can't just stay mad at them because God's trying to save them. Is that all right? This is hard, Tony. All right, let's go further. What joy, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Let's go on to 30, 37. Now, what I love about it is how God sets it up for success, that you might be harvesting where someone else has planted. You might be planting where someone else has harvested, but God rewards both equally. I love it. Now, let me get back to the harvest is ripe because you got to know what people he's trying to get to. And you, gotta, you have to be able to really hear and see when people are ripe for the harvest. If they're not ripe for the harvest, you are probably the planter. Got that? You can see, because Jesus says, open your eyes and look. The fields are white. You can see when people are ripe for the harvest. Therefore, you can see when they're not. Don't waste your time trying to harvest people that are not ready. Only harvest folk that are ripe. Plant seeds in those that are not ready. Right? How do you do that, Tony? If you go back to this woman at the well, Jesus was very good at it. First of all, you have to stimulate a conversation. You have to engage them. And at the level of human beings, all of us have enough in common to talk about. You can talk to anybody unless you're just so removed. If I walk up and I see a person I can't talk to, it's got to do something with me, not them, because I'm judging. If I say I can't talk to him because he looks mean, 
That's on me, not on him. You with me? I can't talk to him because he's different. Well, Jesus talked to a different woman. She was not only different in gender, but she was different in religious faith, right? But he talked to her. First of all, you have to be willing to talk to people. You will never achieve God's goal if you become isolated from people. And the devil, before you became an adult, tried to ruin that in you by making you shy and afraid. Because he know your, your success in the kingdom is dependent upon your ability to talk to people. And you'll walk into a room full of people and maybe talk to one that talks to you. And then wonder, God, how come my life is not bursting at the seams with fulfillment and substance and satisfaction? Because you're a loner. And God delivers a lot of things through other people. Discipleship is not a class. It's also what you experience when you're going through things with other people. And if you won't go through things with other people, you'll never know the depth of God's love. You can't know the depth of God's love working with things. Things. Things don't have a soul. So if you throw your thing, sorry, you didn't do very much to anybody but you, unless it was somebody else's thing. Or It's with people. You understand that? Jesus engages this woman in a conversation because he knew what he was doing. I believe he knew it was time for the Samaritans to come to the well. And I believe he knew that woman was coming. And that's why he positioned himself there. She's coming. I know she's coming. It's her day. Some of us won't get in the way so we can talk to other people. We try to avoid other people. Hmm. We get in the short line. We take the long way around. We don't look people in the eye. We go opposite direction of folks because we don't want to engage. I'm challenging you to stop that. Is that clear? All right. Some of us, when we do talk to them, we're so afraid and shy because we have low self-esteem or we don't value ourselves enough that we don't know how to say anything more than hi. And then we feel awkward. Uh, okay, bye. <laughs> you have to break that. Here's a tip. I'm going to give you a couple of tips, teach you how to engage people, okay? Here's one tip. One, be interested in them. Show curiosity. That means you have a question in your mind where you want to know about them. You don't have to worry about talking about yourself. If you show value in another person, they will think you are valuable. Learn to say hi, introduce yourself with some confidence, and ask them a question. Hi, what's your name? And then respond, Jeffrey, it's nice to meet you, man. You come here often? And the conversation will roll on. Engage people at the level of your commonality, and you'll win them. You'll at least win a conversation or two, right? When people are ripe for the harvest, when people are ripe for the harvest, you can tell because they come to you, they're standing next to you with a problem. Come on, somebody, this ain't that hard. There's a van out there. They park by the church. How much clearer does it need to be they're probably ripe for the harvest? Well, Tony, you know what? They could be dangerous. Well, you never know about people. You got to be careful. I'm with you. But that's my wisdom. Remember Paul, who was first Saul? He was dangerous. Is that right? And God came to the man who was going to minister to him. And that man said, what was his name? Cornelius? Ananias, he said to Ananias, this is the man I want you to talk to about the gospel. <laughs> and I said, hey, God, are you crazy? Do you know who that is? That's a mass murderer, a slayer of Christians. I don't want to put myself in jeopardy with that guy. God said, 
I've already touched his heart. You don't have nothing to worry about. If you don't go deeper, you won't be able to see deeper. You with me? So you'll always live scared. Some of the most atrocious persons in the world have become Christians. Somebody had to witness to them. Is that right? The Bible says God would never put more on you than you can bear. But with the temptation, he'll give you a way to come through it. How many of you believe the gospel? How many of you know this part of the gospel? Listen, I'm challenging you to believe it. Don't just talk to me about it. If you believe God will protect you, the Lord is my shield, my buckler, my hiding place. You say that all the time. Why are you scared? What are you afraid of? Them folk could use a cup of coffee if you can't do nothing else. They could use a good morning every Sunday morning. They park by a church full of Christians. Nobody give a good morning. Hey, how you doing today? They might feel better about coming in one day if everybody said good morning. You don't know if you're sowing or planting right now, but when you hear them, you'll be able to tell, right? You can't just judge from a distance and say, I'm not talking to them. They're dangerous. Do you know I wouldn't be saved if folks thought like that? Because when you're trying to avoid conversations about God, you're kind of rude, right? You have to be willing to engage people. Let me give you a couple more and I'll be done. Number two, not only do you have to engage them, you have to be able to identify an entry conversation for the gospel. You can't just walk up to people and say to them, hey, do you know Jesus? That doesn't work anymore, okay? That was a day it was good, but times have changed, okay? So you change your methods as other people change. So now you can't walk up like that, but there are entry points. Entry points for people. How many of you heard about the shooting in uh, El Paso? That's an entry point. The moment someone say, man, I can't believe the tragedy that went on in El Paso, you can say, man, isn't life fleeting? What are you doing to be ready? That's an entry point where you can talk about deeper-seated beliefs. If you put your mind on getting to understand the deeper-seated beliefs and core values of a person, you'll find place for the gospel. But you got to get to a place, learn how to get to a place where you can talk to people about what they think and believe and value. And you don't have to mess it up. You don't have to be an expert with it. You just talk to people. Me and a friend of mine were in a restaurant at Denny's. It's a Denny's. It's always a Denny's. I don't know why it's always Denny's. It's the pancakes. I don't know. But uh, the waitress come up, and she had occasionally shared things about her fiancé. That's all she would just in past say. Me and my fiancé have done that before. And I'm listening because I'm trying to find an opportunity for the gospel. So I said, hey, so listen, when's the wedding? She goes, well, I don't know yet. There's a few things we got to get together, you know, whatever. We're not ready yet. I said, so what does it take to be ready? She goes, well, first of all, the cost. And I know that's probably going to be the first question. I said, so if you knew a preacher that could do it for you at no cost, would that help you? She goes, yeah, yeah, that might help. So, so do you know one? I said, yeah, I think I know a couple of them. I said, I'll tell you what, let me write my number down. If you ever need the preacher, give him a call right here. And I wrote the number down and gave it to her. She never called the preacher, not yet. But I walk back in the dentist and she says to me, I've been waiting to talk to you. Do you know, every since you told me about the preacher who could help me do my wedding, I've been feeling like God is trying to tell me something. I said, really? What do you feel like he's trying to tell you? She said, I don't know, but I grew up in church. I grew up Mormon. I don't want to go back to that. I'm having a hard time with that. So I'm having a hard time believing and trying to understand what he's trying to tell me because if he's trying to tell me to go back to being Mormon, I don't want to do that. I said, well, sounds like we need to have a little bit more time to talk. 
and maybe try to figure out how you work through this. She says, okay, I'm off at such and such time. Can you come back in? I goes, yes, I'll come back in. My friend and I come back in, and she says, I just feel like I really love God. Now, I don't know where all this comes from, but I don't want to be Mormon, and I don't know anything else. And she's talking, and she's really defensive of her position because she thinks church people are going to judge her. And we're talking to her because she don't know we church people yet. <laughs> just talking to her. And she begins to say, well, hey, listen, are you, are you church people? I said, why do you ask? She said, because I'm just wondering, you know a lot, but you don't seem to be judging me. I said, what do you mean? She said, I was going to church. I went to another church that wasn't Mormon, but those folks are so judgmental and so harsh. So I don't feel like I can go there. But you guys are different. I've never heard it like this. This makes me want to know some more. I said, it's the same Jesus. And I apologize for religion. But the same Jesus that is in those folks trying to help you. They didn't know any better. But it's, the gospel is the same. So let me tell you, if you don't mind, God's desire for you. Is that okay? She goes, yes. And I, again, to minister to her. She then goes get other waitresses. The next time we come, we got four of them. Said, meet these guys. They're so different than regular church people. I think you can talk to them about what you're going through, and they might be able to help you. I have not invited them to church, and I probably won't yet, because the gospel has to get in first. You with me? Right outside your door, not just this door, there are people who need the gospel. If you just take time to lend yourself to talk to them. The most important skill you can develop as a believer is the skill to listen and ask questions. You understand that? I believe that if you take up God's cause, he'll take yours up. Or at least you'll see that he has already taken yours up. But if you stay busy working on your own self, the limitations of what God can do for you are pretty narrow. Because God loves the world. He'll do something certain for you. But it's to free you so you can spread the message. Does that make sense? Would you stand with me? I can't leave you without challenging you, okay? So here's the challenge. Right now, just think of somebody that you know in your circles that are really hard or difficult or almost impossible for you to feel like you can reach. I want you to put their name on your mind. Who are they? Could be a family member, friend, coworker, someone in the circle. And I want you to put them in your mind. But I want you to also put in your mind your greatest challenge whether that's something physical in your body or financial or otherwise or you don't have, I want you to put that challenge in your mind too. It could be, I'm afraid, I'm shy. It could be anything like that, but put that into your mind too. I want both of those things taking up a spot in your mind right now, okay? And while you're thinking about those things, I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to take that thing that you're thinking about that's your thing. And I want you to ask the question to Jesus yourself. Jesus, can you handle this? And I want you to think about it. His answer. His response. And I want you to be able to say in your own mind, in your own way, God, I want to give this to you. I can't wrestle with it anymore. Worrying about it has not worked. Fretting over it has not worked. I want to give it to you. And I'm asking you to take up my cause while I work on this person I have in my mind. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I'm asking for creativity. 
to be able to form a conversation, start an engagement, little ways I can minister grace. But before you do that, awaken in me a heart for others to be saved. Help me not to look at the problems of the world, but to look at the fact that you are able to save. I told you last time, you and I are not going to stop the trouble in the world, but we can help folk get saved before total destruction comes. El Paso just reminds me of what Jesus already said. It's going to get worse. Therefore, you and I are supposed to have a more urgency about us. You can no longer sit back and just watch news reports on the TV. You have to start getting out and sharing the gospel with people. It's important. Your world won't get better unless you put Christ in other folks' heart. Your enemy stops being your enemy when they get saved. Put Christ in their heart. God, I'm turning mine over to you, and I'm asking you to take my, let me take on witnessing to someone else. So I just want you to pray with me real quick. That's what we're praying about. Father, we are so humbled before you because first we know we are inadequate. The world is full of trouble. Matter of fact, it comes on every side and we're not denying that. In fact, you told us in the word, in the world you will have trouble. All those who will live godly in this world will suffer. That's such a picture, God, it's difficult for us to deal with. But you also promised that you would be our shield. You would fight our battles. You are for us and not against us. You are on our side. And God, I pray right now that courage will be birthed today. Over every memory of past failures and hurt, over every bad word that people have spoken in our lives, over everything that's fallen short and hurt us and disappoint us, I speak courage in the name of Jesus. Lord, you said we should never take our light and put it under a bushel, but it should be set up on a lampstand. Exalt your people to their rightful place today, God, that their light may shine, men may see their good works, and glorify the Father. God, I ask you to break the chains of depression, of low self-esteem, of disappointment, of shyness, of shame, of fear, and hurts. It all starts with relationships. I pray for those who are afraid of relationships right now. That's not your desire, God. You didn't give us the spirit of fear. And God, right now, by the power of Jesus Christ, you gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's relationship. And I pray for restoration in the relational part of every person here. Open them up to good relationships. Open them up to trust. Open them up, God, to being vulnerable and transparent. And help us to trust you with our treasure. For we don't store our treasure up down here. We have it in heaven. And God, right now, I pray that each person can hear the depth of the voice crying inside of them for more of you.
Each one of us are in different places and our more might not look the same. But God, help us to reach for our more. God, we want more of you. Hallelujah. Jesus, give us more. Help us to not settle, God, for barely getting by and surviving when you came that we might have life. I declare life in the name of Jesus. Bills are not our limitation. Jobs are not our limitation. For you already promised us that more than we can think or imagine, you're willing to bless our lives. I see you blowing out barriers today, God, in the name of Jesus. Breaking limitations. Thank you, Father. And God, we declare that the world, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and they that dwell therein. Claim your world, God. Claim your people. Open our eyes so we can see the whiteness of the harvest. And Father, you told us the shortage is not in labor, it's in workers. Thank you for a faithful group of workers, each one reaching out at their own capacity, each one doing what we can do with our own limits and abilities, knowing that you'll enlarge us. You'll expand us as we trust you in faith. When we hear your word, God, let us be doers, quick to act, to move and see you move. Teach us the value of obedience. Show yourself strong and mighty. Follow us up with signs and wonders as we go out this week with a heart and intention to reach others. And Father, we seal this prayer. And by the power of Jesus, needs will not stop it. Needs will not stop it. We see the needs. We know they're real. We're not denying the needs. And the devil is a liar. This is not a denial of the needs. But it's a willingness and readiness to trust you, Lord. That you provide all of our needs. You said our Heavenly Father seeth our needs. And Lord, we rest in that. We seal it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 